can't judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. We are here. Are we? But where are we? I am not in my house today. I am okay. cat sitting, right? So, like, we logged in and Kim was like, where are you? What is that background? I was like, that's a different bookcase. Yes. And also, there's, like, a painting next to you that is menacing AF. I don't know if these people listen to this podcast, but I don't <laughs> like that painting. I don't. It is or is it drawing? Scary. Uh, I think it's, a like, an ink print. Like a, like a screen print. What do you call it? You know? Silk screen. Silk screen. Okay. Well, this, that's it. This, we got there. This guy is like looking at Rebecca like he's going to eat her or judge her really harshly. Is well, he Mr. Patriarchy? I don't like him. Probably. Okay, let me see. There. Oh, perfect. Okay. I good. shifted the shifted the computer screen. Awesome. Because I was looking at him for a while because I was like, I don't I'm waiting for him to blink. He's very spooky. He's haunted. Oh my God. Stop. They have a lot uh, of books. They Jesus. do have a lot of books. Yeah. I like the I like this particular room. In their house, it's like a dining room, but it's got closets on one side and bookshelf on the other. So mm. it's like a rail, railroad style. Oh, so it's okay. a middle room. But yeah, anyway. What have you been up to? Um, Nothing. Oh, I saw a movie. Okay. What like movie I always do. Um, I saw Bottoms. Oh, I've seen that advertised. Yeah, it is very, very good. I'm not prepared to talk about it because I just remembered that I saw it. I saw it like two nights ago. Um, so you need to like still meditate over it, think it through. Oh, or? no. Like I want to talk about the director because the director is a woman. Emma Sleekman. Okay. Let's say Sleekman. It was fantastic. It's very funny. And I tell like I've said before, we're talking about Joyride, like the raunchy teenage comedies have returned and I love them because they're like very female based and like we were sitting there and like we're waiting to get our check into Alamo and they usually bring the check out earlier but like something happened so we're waiting to like get our check and we're like looking at the credits and I'm like oh my god everybody's a woman <laughs> like the casting director all the producers like it was very like female based um elizabeth banks is one of the producers um all the writers were female i was like i love this and it was really really funny it was very funny. I love that because when the story is a, a story about women to have it like told and created by women. I mm -hmm. also saw a movie yesterday. I went to see Blue Beetle and it's Ooh. a similar thing. The only there are only like two characters who are non like Latino or of Latin American descent. Mm -hmm. And they're the villains or one's the villain and huh. one's the receptionist for the villain okay. uh, played by Susan Sarandon. Oh, but wow. it was also, uh, it was directed by Angel Manuel Soto, who is uh, Latino, and then written by Gareth Dunet uh, Alcocer. Mm. So again, you've got all these people in the creative side, as well as on the screen side, being representative of the the culture that they're talking about. So mm -hmm. same same concept, you know, just like, oh, wait, the people who are the story is about are the people telling the story i feel like it comes off like so much more genuine that way like it's not like oh we thought this person would sound like this so we wrote it like this and it's like well right. people don't sound like that it's like you know what that person sounds like because that's like 
your cousin or your aunt or your sister. Like, yeah, exactly. And there were some moments in this film that I was like, okay, if a white person had written that line, I think it would have been disingenuous. Mm -hmm. But in this case, because I know that it was written by someone who maybe grew up with similar experiences, it wasn't written to cater to a white gaze. Yes. I think that that's been a thing for a while now. Sorry, white people. Um, but like <laughs> films and TV. We have like, plenty of films. We're fine. <laughs> yes. But I remember when um, that show Insecure, the Issa Rae show on HBO came out, she had said something in an interview that like she wasn't catering towards like a white audience. And like it was written for black women, but it was enjoyable for everyone like right. and relatable to everyone because like our struggles are your struggles. Like a lot of the things are the same and it comes off so much more genuine. It's like you're not trying to like check a box or something. Although some people, some people act like it is just like pandering to the culture, right? Like, Oh, how come in blue beetle, everyone has to like talk about their culture. Just like, Oh, every time there's TikTok that I said, yes. Oh, every time (laughs) there's a Latino movie, how come they have to talk about being Latino? Like, uh, <laughs> sir i don't I ma'am mean, <laughs> excuse me people in cultures talk about their culture and it's like ugh, we have like a little a chat about this like off off pod but like i want to bring it back up because yeah so there's a tiktok that i sent you and there was a group of um a group of mil- movie reviewers who had s- took such offense to this film because they felt like they were pandering to the culture and like Spanish people don't act this way. And it's like, you're a group of like white people. I don't know how you would know, but like, sure. And also they're not Spanish. So, right. Like, and that's, but no, no, not from you, but like from them, that's how they referred to them as well. Yeah, they did. And they just mentioned, they're like, they eat tacos all the time. And it's like, I don't know. Like I've been in East LA. And when we went to go like get hit up, like the really good Mexican food spots, there were Mexicans there because they knew what? where to go. Like, it's like, it's like wild to me. It's like, yeah, these people, it's the food of their culture. Why would they not eat it? Like, that seems, they're not at Taco Bell. Like, it seems so dumb to me for like, just, it's I like, th- why are you hating on someone's excitement of their culture? And then it, like the whole thing, we we're talking about this, like the white supremacy thing, white people don't have a culture because white's not a real thing. If you're Greek, You've got a Greek culture. Embrace My it. My big fat like, Greek wedding is a exactly. perfect example of that. And they're making a third one of that. And I don't understand why. But go for it. <laughs> go for it. You know, but one thing that's bugging me about this movie is so we were looking it up and apparently it's not doing super well. And it is by far, with maybe the exception of Birds of Prey, the best DC superhero movie i've seen Mm. okay and people aren't seeing it and i think some of it is and we've talked about this before like when you were going to see some of these asian centered movies with asian Mm -hmm. creators and asian actors it's like oh that's a movie with asian people in it so it's not for me because i'm not asian like what why yeah this is a movie with latinos in it centering a mexican-american family Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean everyone can't watch it and find something to connect yeah. to it in. And that, like, it's just going to make it's I think it's going to break even but and go like just a little bit past. But there's like no reason for it. It is seriously the best DC superhero movie. And people can be like, well, I'm superhero movied out. I get it. But also, are you still going to see the Marvel ones? Because I think exactly. you are. Well, I see like not in defense of anyone, but. 
I'm much more of a Marvel person than I am a DC person. Same. And I didn't plan on seeing it because it's DC. And I was like, I'll see that eventually, but I'm not spending money on DC. But after hearing like a good review from you and a good review from other people, I will totally go see it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I thought I just, it was like, very enjoyable. DC makes me like very nervous. Like I feel like they don't, they often don't do a good job with like, the correct. exception of Birds of Prey, but it took them a while. And I really applaud a lot of that is Margot Robbie for getting Harley Quinn right because they didn't in the beginning. Like they are rough with their. I haven't enjoyed a DC movie in a long time. Wasn't that a female director too? Yes. So see? you're telling a woman's story with a mm-hmm. female director. In this case, you're telling a Mexican American family story yeah. with a Latino director. I don't so know. So it's if definitely going to be better. But- Right. It's definitely going to be better. Yeah, because I mean, if just the fact that like Birds of Prey was much better when there were more women involved. And I yeah. just feel like there is much like they do a good job with character development. Mm-hmm. Like things don't come out of nowhere. You kind of get it there. There's some silly moments. It doesn't take itself too seriously, which I think is a like problem that. DC has had for a long time. Everything yes, is it really so is. <laughs> fucking brooding. Because you have like, fucking Batman being like so upset yeah. about everything. Yeah. Best like line in is. this movie, Batman's a fascist. <laughs> oh my God. That's a, uh, George Lopez is in the movie and uh, his character says that line. So See... I also don't find him funny. So that was another hesitation that I had. Is That's he like, he is, is he a lot in this movie? Or um, is he mild? His character is meant to be the a lot character, but he I don't is. think, <laughs> but I don't think it's in a way where like, like He's to, me, to me, stealer. Will Ferrell is a lot. Oh my God. Will Ferrell I can't is so with Will Ferrell. much. I can't anymore. He's but too much. But there are a couple of films where if he has a certain type of role, I'm like, okay, I can handle this a bit because he's not like triple escalated version of Will Ferrell, right? He's okay. just like, and so I, the character is ridiculous, but he's supposed to be that like uncle who believes in conspiracy, conspiracy okay. theories. Okay. Okay. Then that's, uh, that's actually, that's probably a good wheelhouse for him. That would be very funny. Right. Yeah. And it's okay. got, you've sold me again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. I'm so excited because I want more people to see it. And and I do believe that James Gunn said that he's going to count it as like the first film in the new DCU that he's like in oh. charge of now. So even if there's not another Blue Beetle movie, hopefully his character will come back. And he's played by hmm. uh, Blue Beetles by Zolo Maridueña, who is the guy who plays Miguel in the Cobra Kai series. Um, if anybody's watched Acapulco, there's a guy who plays a character called Don Pablo. He's the father in this. Um, and Baker and the Beauty, which was only like a nine episode series. Oh, I really liked that. <laughs> I did too. Um, the sister. I was so surprised. The sister from that show is the sister yes. in the movie. Oh, and in that thing that that TikTok I sent you, the people doing horrible review, they like fat shamed her. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what yeah. is this review? Yeah, it was really weird. She's adorable. I, I love her. And when I saw She's her adorable. in the Baker and the Beauty, I was like, oh, I hope she gets more stuff. Because mm-hmm. she's just, she's really good. That show was so, un- Did you, I wonder if you told me about it. Because I don't think I would have watched it. I'm not a, ro- a romantic comedy yeah. gal. <laughs> unless Maybe. it's Sandra Bullock. But like, I don't know why I watched it. But I was just like, this show is awesome. Like, I was very excited. It was so cheesy and cute so at the cheesy. same time. Yeah. Apparently it was based off of like an Indian soap opera type show or something. Oh. I don't know. Like, like it was a, it was a Cuban American adaptation. But like. 
yeah so lots of recognizable faces if you've watched other like latino content mm-hmm. out there films and television um yeah it was just and even the there's a a female character in it who is not mexican-american her father is white but i think i think her mother is brazilian okay um and so there's sort of like some degree of cultural connection then there's another character who like speaks i okay i haven't double checked which language it is but it's definitely an indigenous language so like when there's flashbacks for him Mm -hmm. it's like there are subtitles for those who need it but when people are speaking spanish and that's natural for them to like the abuela speaks spanish like of course she does why wouldn't she right Mm -hmm. if if she in the story like she because this is america (laughs) oh sorry i forgot right anyway you come here and you learn our language which is not an official one but whatever we suck oh god okay sorry i was i was being sarcastic and i just upset myself you're like i was being sarcastic but then it was real and then it was real (laughs) then it was real because i've heard those conversations because i have i live in a very spanish-speaking neighborhood but like also, gentrification has like happened in my neighborhood, so it's like I've heard people go, "Oh, why is everybody speaking Spanish?" And it's like, "Oh my god, yeah, shut I up. hate that." I hate Please that. go back to Kansas. I can't like get out of here. Speaking of Spanish, you know, we just did our episode on soccer, right? And we I didn't know what? who won the. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know who won the World Cup when we recorded, but we do now, and it's it was Spain, Spain, uh, and Yay. very excited. Woohoo! Um, but yeah, there's been some uh, grossness that came out of that from, oh, surprise, surprise, a man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. During part of the like celebration of when they won, like right after the game. And I forget, was he was like the president or the commissioner? He's the president of, of the, he's the Royal Spanish Football Federation president. Okay. Yes. And there was like a kiss between him and... Uh, one of the star players, Jenny Hermoso. A non-consensual kiss. A non-consensual kiss, exactly. Well, that's what I was going to say is like, he, he kind of put it off as like, oh yeah, it was consensual. She And it's like, I'm sorry, sir, but unless you all were in a romantic relationship prior to being in both of these positions, mm-hmm. that is not consensual because you hold a position of power over this woman. Yeah. And you just kissed her and she spoke up about it and she spoke back about it and then Mm -hmm. she's got her team behind her and but he's like doubling down yeah so they're calling for him to step down which i guess they can't just fire him he needs to step down and he's refusing to step down because for him it was a heat of the moment uh passion kiss because he was caught up in the excitement but i would like to ask him if the male team had won would he have been caught up in the excitement and kissed a male player yeah that's he a wouldn't great have. question. No. So like I feel <laughs> we like we know the answer, but it's a great like, question. <laughs> it's insult it's it's insulting to like this women's team that has worked so hard. It's insulting to us because we just did an episode about how hard women's soccer has like how far they've come. They just fucking to proved then- how exactly r- how much they more we proved- have to go. Exactly, because like they won the whole thing. They won the cup, they won, they're the best. And then they're like, oh, you're the best. Now here's some like sexual assault on the field because we also don't value women, even though you're the best of the women and you're the best at kicking the ball and you've proven it. 
but you still don't, you, you didn't earn respect, but you were in this World Cup. It's absolutely wild to me it, it that is this is absurd. now the thing that they have to be dealing with. Instead of and celebrating their win. The team and I think a lot of the, the other women in the league were like standing up and kind of like deciding that they were going to like protest playing or strike yeah. or something. But, but then I mean, they were told over, that so they I don't... couldn't. And, well, yeah. no, but I mean... Just for the Federation, like for their other games. Oh, in general. Okay. Because yeah. I was like, well, it's the end of it. So like, can you strike now? But it, it is really wild that the Federation like doesn't have their back. Like, right. It's not, it's not 1970. Like we've, we did a whole episode on how shitty it was back then. And this is like a whole new decade. Like this, it, it should have been, oh, what did he do? Oh, do you have a box for his office? He needs to clean it out. Like he's done. Yeah. And the fact that there's like a back and forth and we're like, dude, can you please just step down? And he's like, no. And they're like, well, like there's nothing we can do. And these women are like, well, we're not going to play. And they're like, well, you have to play. And it's like, this is insane that this has even been a conversation that's lasted more than a week. Like exactly. he, should, he should be gone. He should absolutely be gone. I'm looking at a picture of him now where he picked up a player and like is carrying her over his shoulder and she looks terrified. He's got his Ew, hand on like, her, her thigh. Yeah, like, Ugh. he's not a good person. Like, he clearly is the like... The machismo is there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's if you ever want to know where the machismo comes from. It's just lined in the pockets of men. Like, this is so... Oh, I'm yeah. just so sad that they have to be dealing with this instead of, like, Like, all we wanted to do is celebrate win. that yeah. they won, right? And then, so we did, if you go back to, like, I, I posted on the Twitter, like, mm-hmm. congratulations to Spain. And then the next day, it was like... But here's this fucking drama. Yeah. And isn't that kind of like the tagline of being a woman? Congratulations. Oh, but just wait. Like something good happens. But oh, no, a man like it just. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Um, I don't know how to segue into it, but it is the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Okay. All right. Well, I think that is its own segue anyway, because. It's going to tie into what we're talking about in a little bit, right? Yes. So um, it's the 50th anniversary of hip hop. And according to the website of hip hop.com, it's not hip hop.com. It's 50th anniversary <laughs> hip hop.com. Um, there's going to be celebrations held all around the world. There's a museum up in the Bronx that I want to go to, but it is so far into the Bronx. Like it's like the tip of the Bronx. Like it feels like you need like a, a joke. How far? Kind of. Or like Metro North. And I'm like, oh. I, don't I, know, I like, think we might rent a car. And if I could like, take the D train or something, or the F train, not the F train, the F train doesn't no. go. The six, uh-uh. the, the six, the six or the D train. Like, sure, I'll go. No, but it's like Monthaven. But it looks really cool. I saw them do a segment on it on New York One. So it's all about um, uplifting like the world of hip hop and like honoring every aspect of hip hop culture, from the music to sneakers to people who started it, like the street culture, all of that. And August also marks the 25th anniversary of The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. 25 years ago, it came out. That's wild, too. feels wild to me. And that's who we're going to talk about today. We're talking about Lauryn Hill and how influential she was to the world of hip-hop. Like, we'll get to it, but, like, she was the first female to do so many things because the world of hip-hop was like, no, just dudes, right? And then she showed up and was like, actually. Right a lady's going to do this and it's going to be fantastic. So today we're going to learn about the actress, singer, songwriter, and rapper Lauren Hill from the start of her career at age 13 to today. 
Then we'll discuss things that the media has said about her over the years regarding her musical performances, acting gigs, and romantic relationships. Next, we'll break down some of these judgments and discuss what was really going on in Hill's life and career. We'll address rumors that were started by twisting her words and what really happened. Finally, we'll look at the impact of her music on other creators and artists, as well as the ways in which she was giving back to her community. So just some trigger warnings for very brief mentions of grooming and abortion. Lauren Noel Hill was born in East Orange, New Jersey on May 26, 1975. Her birthday's like four days before mine. And a couple months after Sean's in terms of year. Like they were mm. born the same year. But I just realized she's a Gemini and that like makes so much sense. <laughs> okay. It does. Yeah. And like I relate to her too. So like I get it now. So her parents are Valerie, a teacher, and Mal, a computer consultant. She has one older brother and the family bounced from the tri- bounced around the tri-state area for a couple of years. First to New York, then to Newark, New Jersey, and then finally ended up in South Orange, New Jersey. Hill came from a musical family. Her mother played the piano and her father sang in nightclubs and at weddings. Lauren picked up the performance bug and started performing at events at school. Her big break came in 1988 when Hill was an amateur night contestant on its showtime at the Apollo. She sang the Smokey Robinson song, Who's Lovin' You? She was 13 and the crowd was not kind. But instead of being discouraged, Hill channeled her sadness into becoming better. She started high school and leaned into her education and extracurriculars. She took violin lessons, dance lessons, and even founded her school's gospel choir. She was so busy outside of school, she would even travel to New York City to take acting lessons. She had her first acting performance in 1991 in an off-Broadway play called Jean in Club 12, or John in Club 12? Yeah, not anyway, sure. It was a, yeah, it was a hip-hop rendering of Shakespeare, Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, and it was created by female rapper MC Light. It was a bit of a flop, but Lauren Hill was noticed by an agent who thought she could do so much more. Back in New Jersey, a classmate of hers reached out to form a musical group that he's, he was working on outside of school. Per Croswell, Michelle, known professionally as Proz, introduced Hill to his cousin Wyclef Jean in 1988. They would later form the Fugees, but when they first started working together, they were known as the Translator Crew. All right. The three wrote and performed together. Hill was the youngest member, around 13 years old. Wyclef was 19 and Proz was 18. At first, things were a little awkward because of Wyclef. It seemed he had a crush on Hill and was looking to pursue her. Ah, well, Praz shut this down. In an interview, the group spoke on it with Wyclef recalling the conversation with Praz. He said, Praz came to me and said, back off. You can't talk to her. She's too young for you, man. She's too young for you. Not only that, you know her brother. He trusts me. In the interview, the group laughs this off. But again, like they started when Hill was 13 and Wyclef was 19. Mm. That is not okay. It's not. It's and like not. the interview is very, everyone's laughing about it. And I'm just like, oh, no, yeah. I don't like this at all. Well, Wycliffe settled for the role of mentor and helped Hill learn how to rap. The group began performing in local showcases and high school talent shows. They mostly worked on perfecting their skills. Hill was juggling school, musical gigs, and acting gigs, and she loved it. She was doing her homework in the stalls of hip hop clubs and running from audition to weekly performances. Hill landed a gig on the soap opera As the World Turns, which was my grandmother and my mother's favorite soap opera. <laughs> Not Passions. Not Passions. 
Passions was like my grandmother used to listen to As the World Turns on the radio before it became a TV show. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, And later Hill was in Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, which we could consider her breakout role. Yeah. The film wasn't as successful as the first Sister Act, uh, and critics hated it. In fact, Roger Ebert called her the girl with the big joyful voice, but noted that he thought her talent was wasted in the film. So, like, I guess he's, like, noticing that she was good, but maybe the Mm -hmm. film itself wasn't. Hill returned to New Jersey and graduated from high school, focusing her energy on music and the Fugees. So... I'm just going to take a moment here to be completely fucking shocked because when I was a kid and when this movie came out, I only remember it like on VHS. So me and my cousin, we would reenact all the performances and like seeing them in my grandmother's living room. So this is the first time that I'm hearing that this film wasn't successful. Like we used to do this like 90s bar crawl thing and they would play one of the songs and everyone would lose their mind. Like I don't know of a person who didn't like this movie, like a person my age who didn't like this movie. Like, it never dawned on me that this wasn't a smash hit. I'm going to ask the question that I love to ask, but Rebecca, have you ever seen this film? Yes. Yes, I have. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. No, I grew up with Sister Act and and even Sister Act 2, we watched a few times. Um, mm-hmm. My stepmom was partial to the first one, so we watched that one more. But yes, mm-hmm. I, have seen, I have seen this one as well. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. If, if, <laughs> if it's an older movie, I've probably mm. seen it. Like, I think... Up until I went to college, like movies that came out in the early 2000s, that's where my gap is because okay. I didn't have like a place or money to go to movies. And mm. even when I was in college, like we didn't have cable in the dorms. So no, no. We had crappy satellite. It wasn't very I good. I mean, but yeah, I went to school in New Hampshire in 1999. So <laughs> It's not that, that there wasn't I, cable. It's just oh, that the schools weren't shelling out for it. Oh, okay. I was just like, that doesn't seem like an, a, a reason to me. <laughs> Your creepy guy is back. Oh. I don't know. When, <laughs> no, the wrong way. There you go. Thank you. I was like, because now I'm just staring at him. I know. How did that happen? He was like, I He moved my computer. It's, it's now a ghost podcast. <laughs> Haunted pictures. And this is why we drink. Get them. <laughs> get them here i'll tag them i'll tag them that thing is fucking haunted um okay so yes i have seen that movie and i would say like we'll probably consider it a cult classic today right mm -hmm. yeah so the director was asked about it a few years ago and bill duke uh he said the reviewers at that time could not really be linked to our communities or the message shocker As you know, the faces of the reviewers were very different from the viewers. So I was surprised, but not shocked, because they didn't get us at the time. They didn't get the message and did not relate on an emotional level. And I think that answers your question. Everyone you know who's seen it liked it. But the reviewers, who were they? I mean, no offense to Roger Ebert, but they were old white men. Yeah. Yeah. And this film was super diverse for its time, like without being pandering. So you had Lauren Hill, you had Jennifer Love Hewitt, who were just like starting their careers out. Jennifer Love Hewitt doesn't get to sing that much in this movie. And I think that's like a tragedy because she's got such a stunning voice. Um, Leading actress is Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, You have Kathy and Jimmy. So there's like comedy on comedy. Like this movie was just so perfect to me. And like everyone in like it was an inner city. And I'm using that in quotes like high school. But there were 
there weren't just black kids. There weren't just like Hispanic kids. There weren't just white kids. Like there was everyone. Everyone yeah. went to, there was Asians. Everyone went to this school. And it was really like, that's what my school looked like. And like, it was a Catholic school. And I think that's why we watched this movie so much when we were younger. Cause it painted nuns in a nice light. And like, I had nuns <laughs> in my school. So they were like, sure. Like you can watch this movie. But it was, I don't know. It was so perfect for the time. And it was diverse without needing to check any boxes. Like, it didn't feel like, okay, we need three white girls. We need, like, two Asian. Like, it didn't feel forced. Oh, nope, that's too many Latinas. Sorry. Yeah. No, it wasn't like that. <laughs> no. I know, this is a, a perfect film to me. Well, over the years, musicians have pointed to Hill's performance in Sister Act 2 as their inspiration to pursue music careers, including Colby Calais, Hilary Scott of Lady A, and Katy Perry. Singer, actress Janelle Monet cited Hill's performance as a source of inspiration for her acting career. So Lauren Hill's performance has received acclaim from fans, critics, musicians, us. Um, she also received a solo record deal offer from Michael Jackson. However, right. however, oh. she said no to the deal because she was a member of the Fugees at the time. In my opinion, big mistake. Huge. Huge. So, like, enough fangirling over Sister Act 2, but you can stream it on Disney Plus or rent it on Apple TV if you want. But I would say watch it. It's I feel so like good. I need to watch it again now because it's Me probably too. been, you know, 25, 30 years since I watched it. When did it come out? 90? I think it came out in 91. Okay. I could just Google it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Google's a thing. 1993. Okay. I wonder if I can get this soundtrack. Probably. I don't see why not. I mean, like, yeah, but I probably haven't seen it in the 30 years since it came out or like no. 25 years, maybe, I would say. I definitely haven't seen it, at least in the last like 10 years. And I can get this on vinyl for $19. Nice. Okay, I will buy that later. But that is that's going to be a new purchase. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send I'll post a picture when uh, when I get it. <laughs> Like we said, Hill graduated from high school in 1993 and jumped right back into music with the newly famed Fugees. The name comes from the word refugee, which at the time was used as a derogatory term for Haitian Americans. Wyclef and Praz are Haitian, Hill is not. The Fugees' first album, Blunted on Reality, was released in 1994. It didn't do very well commercially, but it did bring in new fans. So Hill's around 19 now and things have changed. She's now in a romantic relationship with Wyclef. Shocker. <sighs> She's rapping more and she gets the nickname El Boogie. She's slowly becoming the forefront member of this group. When their second and final record, The Score, was released, it catapulted the trio into the spotlight. The album sat at the top of the R&B hip hop charts for about eight weeks, becoming the, the longest running number one for a hip hop group. With huge singles like Killing Me Softly, Fuji La, and Ready or Not, the group had cemented their way into musical history. The score was the third best-selling album of 1996 in the U.S. I remember it. Killing Me Softly was just everywhere. That was massive. Yeah, I remember singing that all over. I remember singing that with a group of friends for a talent show. I think that's one of the songs where I don't even necessarily need to hear the words to feel the feels. Yeah, And I am usually a lyric-based person, so it's amazing. The group was so proud of their work. You know, they blended sampled melodies and lyrics with live instrumentation and DJing. Every member had a hand in producing a track. 
Lauren Hill spoke on the record saying, it's an audio film. It's like how radio was back in the 1940s. It tells a story and there are cuts and breaks in the music. It's almost like a hip hop version of Tommy, like what the who did for rock music. I think that's a great way of putting it. And something that, you know, Mm -hmm. I hear Sean talk about a lot is like when you're putting your songs on an album, you put them in a certain order to tell a certain story. Yes. But this one's kind of like really bringing that to the forefront. Which is why I I wonder if like artists hate the shuffle button. Probably Sean does. I know that. Yeah. (laughs) Because there's some albums that I have to listen to on shuffle and there's some that are like, oh no, you need to play this from start to finish because like you can feel the story a little bit more connected than other albums. And I think when I started listening, like we did Celine Dion, like that album, Mm -hmm. I always have to listen to it in order. Like if I hear one of the songs, my brain automatically transitions into the next song on the album. (laughs) See, I always think that's because of like, I always listen to it on CD, but like I had a shuffle option on my CD player, but like I didn't didn't do it. it. I just like, I didn't do it. I just like played it from start to finish. But that album, that's the one. Oh, my God. What is it called? With the blue and white cover with It's All Coming Back to Me Now. Yeah, that one. Everything except for the title of that album is all coming back to me now. But that <laughs> album is like start to finish. That's how you have to listen to it. Mm-hmm. No skips, no shuffles, maybe a repeat. But like that album is a one to 12 or whatever. Yes. In 1997, the score was nominated for Album of the Year and won Best Rap Album and Best R&B Performance by a duo or group with vocals for Killing Me Softly. Hill was the standout member of the Fugees. Fans and critics praised her. She was labeled a new and powerful voice of rap. But Lauren was just 19 years old. This attention was new and she wasn't sure she liked the spotlight. There was a rumor spread that Hill did not want white people listening to her music. She spent the next few years battling this lie and defending herself. We'll dive more into this rumor later, but it was a really stressful time for Hill and the Fugees. Between press for the album and touring, Lauren continued her relationship with Wyclef. By the time she was 21, she was still living with her parents and enrolled in Columbia University. Music kept her busy, so she was only able to attend for about a year. The Fugees were trying to work on a new album while touring. Lauren and Wyclef are still together at this time, and their chemistry is strong and sometimes fiery. In Wyclef's memoir, Purpose, he wrote that the two are like outlaws in love. We had fights on planes. We had huge fights. And a few times, when it went down, she started swinging at me right there in the seats. People would scatter. We never got arrested, but we came close a few times in Europe. (laughs) Both of us are just like (laughs) exasperated, like silence there. So like all these articles I found about Wyclef, <clears throat> talking about Lauren Hill, we're all around the time of him trying to sell this fucking book, right? And it's like, could you keep your keep her name out of your mouth? Like, could you relax? Like, he was just ready to like spill all this tea, but like, not really like own up to like everything that he did in this relationship, like you know the grooming yeah. and all sorts of things. Um, he's like, yeah, it was equally crazy. Like, we were both crazy for each other, but it's like, was it? I think that you're not acknowledging the years that you spent with this child. Like, I just, I don't know. I don't have the verbiage for like what could have possibly happened between 13 and 19. Right. That could make her fall so head over heels for this guy and do basically whatever he says. Because I've been in situations where like, I've been enamored with a man for a year and I did stupid shit. So like, I can't imagine it starting from like, you not knowing any better as a child 
and like just trying to be with this person even though they're treating you like shit like Mm -hmm. and then they write a book about it like I don't think I ever felt like any way about Wyclef but like I don't like him now gotcha (laughs) I don't think he was ever like on my radar as negative or positive but like now it's pretty negative (laughs) it's pretty negative because you had all these years to be like yeah what I did wasn't cool and you're just like yeah things were crazy we were both crazy. So he never really elaborates on what the fights were about. But in 1994, he got married. The relationship between Hill and himself continued. Oh, okay. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah. So the tour was messy, but that also continued. So his wife is at home. He's with Lauren on the road. Again, we don't know what the conversations were, like how he felt about his wife, how he told Lauren he felt about his wife. Him and Lauren have been together for years and now he got married in the middle of their relationship. Like, I don't, he doesn't address it. He doesn't address that part. Convenient. Which I find suspicious. Like, you wrote a whole book. You wrote a whole book. I need to know how you were with Lauren Hill for this whole time after being obsessed with her since she was a child. How do you segue that into marrying another woman? Because this could have been like a cute, weird love story, right? Where like, you knew this person as a child. I mean... It could have been like a Celine Dion love story. Yeah. But it's not. It's not. But it's really fucking not. And like, how did we get, how did we, what happened in the middle, Wyclef? That's what I would like to know. But like, he's not saying that. Mm-hmm. So after he got married and the tour was continued and was messy, um, in the summer of 1996, Lauren Hill met Rohan Marley, the son of Bob Marley. The two started a relationship, but Hill was still involved with Wyclef. So there was lots of... Venn diagramming of overlappingness in these relationships. So only after a few months of dating, Hill became pregnant with Marley's baby. Rumor had it that Wyclef thought that she was carrying his child. When he was corrected on this fact, he blew up. The tensions in the group became too hard to deal with, and the group went their separate ways. On August 3rd, 1997, Marley and Hill's first child, Zion David, was born. The new parents lived in Hill's childhood home in South Orange, New Jersey. Her parents were just up the road in a new house that she bought for them. She began working on her solo project while she was still pregnant. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Hill speaks about the creative process of embarking on a solo career. She says, I was pregnant with my first child and the situation was complicated, so I was motivated to find more stability and safety for myself and my child. That definitely pushed me to disregard what appeared as limitations. The Miseducation of Lauren Hill was released on August 25th, 1998. On this record, Hill gets deep. This album was like therapy for her. She dives into her pregnancy, pain and drama within the Fugees and how she was perceived. She focused her themes on motherhood, hope for the next generation, love and God. The album debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 chart, selling over 422,000 copies in its first week. One of those was me. (laughs) Um, This broke the record for the first week sales by a female artist. Hill started a world tour to promote the album. The ticket sales sold out as soon as the tour was announced. The tour was so successful that her record company wanted to extend it. However, Lauren was pregnant with her second child. And for the second time in her career, her label and others in the music industry advised her to have an abortion. The fear was that the baby would slow down the momentum of her career. Hill resisted the pressure and she's never regretted her decision. That's so fucked up though when your job is like "Mm, you should have an abortion like no i'm sorry never like there's something so like it's something so nefarious about it because (laughs) yes because i could see just a room full of executives going 
well, like she can't have a baby right now. Like we're going to go on tour and she needs to release a second album because like the momentum of this needs to keep going. Like you have to strike where the, strike where the iron is hot. Try again and in I a could few see, months. Yeah. Like, I could what? see a group of people just being like, well, this is the easiest solution is just to abort that thing. So like, why don't you just do that? And it's like, oh, but there's a person behind it. And I think that the music industry, the more like we learn about it from like doing this podcast, it's like, it doesn't really have a human soul behind it. Right. It's a machine. So like for them, or whoever she was talking to, that's the easiest solution. Like, we can't have you away for nine months, like, have an abortion. Like, what's the problem? Like, this makes the most sense. But, like, there is a person behind it. There are people involved. Like, it just, it, it sucks that she had to even be put in that position. Mm-hmm. That's really shitty. Mm-hmm. Well, the record company suggested that instead of another tour, then she should release another album. Because of her fantastic album sales and Grammy wins, people were clamoring to work with her. And we'll chat more about her awards later, but Hill is busy writing and producing for others at this time. She wrote for Aretha Franklin, Mary J. Blige, CeCe Winans, and produced songs for Whitney Houston and Santana. So things were going pretty great for Hill. She and Marley got engaged after their second child was born, and her album was a massive success. So, of course, here comes the drama. In November 1998, the producers she worked with while making Miseducation filed a lawsuit against Hill, her management, and record label. They alleged that Lauren didn't pay them correctly. They also claimed that members of their team were actually primary songwriters on a few of the tracks, so they were owed a songwriting credit and the pay for that. Hill's team and even people who worked in the studio contended that this was false and the album was 100% Hill's vision. Team Hill stood by the original deal and cited that the production company was just looking for a bigger payday by requesting partial writing credits on most of the tracks. The suit was eventually settled out of court in 2001, and Hill was forced to pay $5 million. The lawsuit brought lots of negative press and caused people to challenge her integrity as an artist and a writer. Her third child, while being unmarried, brought another level of judgment that she wasn't prepared for. The public pressure was becoming just a bit too much. Throw in pressure from her record company. They wanted a new album, and they wanted it yesterday. But Hill had a writing process, and she couldn't or wouldn't create just for the sake of putting out something to appease the label. You can't. Like, if you're a creator, if you're a writer or an artist of any kind, if someone's like, one, two, three, go, write this. Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. Not well. No. (laughs) That's how you get, like, shitty sequels or whatnot. Yeah. Um, After turning down several acting opportunities, Hill stepped away from the public eye, partly because of the press and partly to work on a proper album. So I'm going to go on a tangent yet again, and I want to talk about some of the roles that Lauren Hill turned down, because I feel like in the 2000s, there was this like demand for celebrities to be like a triple threat. So someone who could sing, dance and act. So Lauren did act and maybe she wanted to expand on that. But it seemed like they threw every like fucking role at her, just hoping that something would stick. She was offered the lead role in the planned remake for A Star is Born, which actually took like 18 years to get off the ground. And that came out um, in 2018 with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. That movie has like four or five different versions of it, though, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, like it they does. remake it like every few decades. They do, but they always want to put like some new young singer in it. Like, I think that the last thing I heard, like, they're like, they can do another one with like Billie Eilish. And I was like, they just did one. Why? And that movie is sad as fuck. Like, why do we keep like, I never saw the original. So I was like, oh, I like Bradley Cooper. I like Lady Gaga. Let me watch this thing. Meanwhile, here's my face crying off because it's horrible. 
I'll never watch that movie again. It's so damn sad. Like, I'm sitting here thinking about it, and it's so sad. <laughs> Lauren was also offered the role of Dina in Dreamgirls. Beyonce would go on to play that role. Um, she also passed on Charlie's Angels. Lucy Liu got that role, which just confirmed, in my mind, the theory that they only wanted a minority for that part. Other roles that make way less sense, in my opinion, were The Born Identity. I'm assuming she would have played um, Julia Stiles' character. Okay. The Mexican, which I've never seen. The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolution. Which, you know, way to pass them down because really only the first one is worth it. <laughs> In my yeah, I guess opinion. Played, I guess she would have played the Jada Jada Smith is in that, right? Oh, Jada Pinkett Smith. She's in the the sequels. Yeah. Okay. I'm just like, what black person was she playing in this movie, right? That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. But yeah, like I don't, I don't think that, I think it would have been fun to maybe see her play some of these roles. But I don't think that Hill is the person just to take a role or even write an album just for someone else. So, like, I don't think these roles would have really worked. Right. It had to be something that suited her. Yeah. Like, Sister Act 2 suited her. Like, well, she was, she was also a singer. A kid she was a teenager. That, right? Yeah. 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 I don't, she hasn't done anything acting as an adult. But I don't think any of these things would have, I don't think any of these things would have passed the test. Like, she was pregnant for most of them, so she couldn't do oh, it. Oh, that too. I also feel like she was like, what is this? Why would I do that? Like, Charlie's Angels makes no sense to me, personally. Well, by July of 2021, Hill was back with new music in the form of an MTV Unplugged 2.0. For the young people out there, MTV used to play music videos and um, had music-focused shows, like M stood for music. I don't know what it stands for now, but there you go. Uh, Teen Mom. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah. Teen Mom and Teen Mom 2 and Teen Mom OG. That's all I ever say. (laughs) One of these shows back when they did music focus shows was Unplugged 2.0. And basically artists would play songs acoustically and talk about the song's history. So it's kind of a cool combination of hearing a new version of the song from the artists themselves and getting some of that like behind the scenes knowledge about it. Mm -hmm. Hill recorded one for MTV and it doubled as a live album. Critics were divided on the music. It wasn't as successful as her first, but the record company was satisfied and started pushing for a third album. So while working on this album, Hill had two more children and toured. During a show in the Vatican City, Hill condemned the Catholic Church for what she called corruption, exploitation, and abuses. It was 2003, and the allegations of sexual abuse and a cover-up for those abuses were very public. Only 10 years earlier, Sinead O'Connor was shamed and blacklisted for calling out the the Catholic Church and the Pope for the same thing. Mm -hmm. And she got a lot, a lot of, like, shit for that. For being right, like I, it's yeah, wild to me. Course. Like the Catholic Church has been fucking up for years, and when people point it out, it's like, well, it seems like you don't like Jesus, so we don't like you. And it's like one thing kind of should have nothing to do with the other, but like you're like abusing children. Well, people called Lauren unhinged for this and said her career was failing and she was just looking for attention, whether it was positive or negative, it didn't matter, right? That doesn't make any sense to me. No, like, what, what, like, like that's what, what that? I'm going to do. You know what? I just want attention. So I'm going to talk shit about the Catholic Church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good idea. Some people cited her new friendship with a man called Brother Anthony. So according to an article titled, Was Hill Influenced to Attack the Catholic Church by Jeanette Walls? Yeah. Glass Castle, Jeanette Walls. That one. Yeah. She does writes regular 
essays and like articles pieces yeah i was just like that one and i googled it and it's like yeah that one so anyway wall said a source believes that hill's comments may have been encouraged or even scripted by brother anthony a man whose teachings have influenced hill so much that her friends have become concerned hill became close to brother anthony three years ago and shortly afterward she asked her management and others who had helped her become a success according to hill's former bandmate Praz, this guy was suspicious Praz said i had a tape of brother anthony's teachings it was like some real cult shit i couldn't believe that this dude was really serious was lauren in a cult or was she just tired of being in the spotlight and not being able to speak her mind the public claimed cult and it became part of the joke that lauren hill was having a breakdown and becoming unhinged Between 2004 and 2011, Hill took control of her music. She did get rid of most of her management team. She focused on writing and recording at home so she could be with her family. She sold music and signed fan merch on her personal website and toured and performed with the Fugees sporadically. Whenever the Fugees got together, things would start good, but the communication would always break down and end up with Hill leaving. During a tour in 2005, the group planned to work on an album, but talks fell apart as the tour did. Infighting and Hill's constant lateness were cited as reasons for the second breakup. Hill went on a solo tour with the same problems, lateness. Okay, so I saw her live once. Um, We were in New Orleans and we're like, it was during, do you remember when Ticketmaster had that whole like lawsuit and like they were like, oh, instead of giving you guys actual money back, we'll give you a bunch of like free or discounted tickets. Oh, no. Well, I never got to like go to a lot of shows and stuff. So I didn't, I wasn't a part of that. So I spent my youth at shows and Ticketmaster overcharged for them. So there was like a whole lawsuit. Um, And instead of giving you money back, they gave you like credits towards shows. So we got these credits towards this Lauren Hill show, but it was only in certain states. And it happened to be like the first night we were going to be in New Orleans with like a group of friends. So I was like, bet we're all going to see Lauren Hill. So I knew about the rumors of her being late. And I was like, whatever, it's Lauren Hill. We'll do it. Two hours later, when she took the stage, it was totally worth it. And that sounds insane. But her voice is so amazing and her lyrics are timeless. And I like grew up on that album. So I was like, I need to be here for it. But it was a cool two hours wow. after the show started. She showed up. But lateness aside, many concertgoers say that Hill often goes on rants and babbles some of the words, making the show unwatchable. But every show wasn't terrible. Lauren Hill was playing a free concert in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. It was a gross, muggy, hot summer night, and Hill played for over two hours. The crowd wasn't super excited at first, as a lot of the music was remixed, making it hard to sing along. But once Hill got into it, so did the crowd. Also, I love that she did a free concert in, like, Crown Heights. Like, that's, that's just, like, that's perfect. I love it. And do you know who invited her to the stage? Um... I don't know. No, I don't know. Tell me. Motherfucking Charles Schumer. Oh, I should have guessed. Chucky boy. (laughs) Chucky boy. I should have known better. (laughs) Chucky boy is always making an appearance on this podcast. Chuck Schumer uh, was like, and now welcome to the stage. Lauren Hill. Chuck Schumer was there. Of course he was. Of course he was. Hi. The the day that man dies, I'm going to be so sad. I love Chuck Schumer. (laughs) I love him so much. Okay. Remember that time we were having breakfast by your house and he just like walked in? Yes. And we're like, it's Chuck Schumer. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, so crowds weren't the only ones worried about what kind of show they would get. Concert promoters were worried if she would show up at all. 
In April 2009, Hill signed up to embark on a 10-day tour of European summer music festivals. She performed the first without error. The second show, however, she passed out and wasn't able to return to the stage. And the rest of the dates were later canceled. Promoters were becoming very reluctant to even set up dates with her. Reluctant, but not a full stop. She has performed at Rock the Bells, a hip-hop festival, at Coachella, and at the New Orleans Jazz Festival all while releasing music on her website and raising a family. In 2010, her song Repercussions landed on the Billboard charts. It was the first time since 1999 that her music had had, had, had that reach. She also toured with rapper and longtime friend Nas. Here she debuted more of her music. Hill's been describing her music as being about the derivative effects of racial inequality and abuse. Okay, valid, but some people might not be looking for that in their, their bops, you know? Yeah, but you know what? That's her prerogative, right? Absolutely. You know? that, that's the thing. Like, I feel like, and I, I talk about it later, but I'll talk about it now because I just mentioned it. I feel like people are always clamoring for new music from their favorite artists, but they want it to be like the, the same first music. time they heard. Yeah, and it's like, she's evolved. She's like a black woman in America who is like, I want to talk about racial inequality and like abuse. And it's like, that's cool, but can you do X Factor? And it's like, it's not always going to be that way. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. In June 2012, Lauren was charged with three counts of tax fraud. Basically, the government said that she didn't pay taxes on any of the money she earned between 2005 and 2007, which was roughly $1.8 million. So now she owed the government restitution for the back taxes to the tune of $554,000. A year later, a judge ordered her to serve time after only paying back $50,000. Hill was sentenced to serve three months in prison and three months house arrest. Hill got early release in October of 2013 and returned home for the house arrest part of her house arresting. She spent time with her family and her children and worked on music. Over the last few years, Hill has stayed kind of under the radar. She and Marley has split but remain friends and they speak very positively of each other while co-parenting. Hill was approached to create a documentary on her life. Uh, it was filmed, but Sony has forbid it to be released. This or any other film about Lauren Hill. Like, that's like the official Stony, Stony, Sony statement. And I find that suspicious as fuck. Yeah. I, like, I need it's to know weird. more about this. I know. Like, Sony, maybe because it paints them in such a bad light because they were like, you need to have an abortion. But, like, allegedly, Sony said that. Please don't sue us, Sony. Um, but, yeah, they won't let any film about her life be released. Uh, but this film is called Lauren Hill to be young, gifted and black. And there's a rough cut on YouTube. Like the whole thing is there. Um, but the artist doesn't make any money because it's on YouTube. But I guess they were like, I want it released anyway. Right. Because if you're going to make it and it's never going to see the light of day for profit. Yeah. Like, you might as well just, just give up on it or do you put it out for free? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Hill was back in the studio in 2019 to record a song for the movie Queen and Slim called Guarding the Gates. And just recently, like last week from yeah. our recording date here, on August 24th, 2023, Miss Lauren Hill announced that she is going on tour with the Fugees. Tour dates are set and she will be in Brooklyn in October. If you want to know about other places, Google. <laughs> we only care about here, okay? Okay. <laughs> 
It's because I I looked it up and I was like, maybe I'll go, but it's expensive and I'm poor. So the tour is for the 25th anniversary of Miss Education, but the Fugees will be there and she's going to be doing some songs from both albums. So we wish this tour nothing but the best. Fingers crossed for positive energy and collaboration and just good vibes all around. So let's talk about beyond the big reputation let's talk about the trash that people have said like lauren hill hates white people oh okay yeah sure yeah let's do, talk you ever, about that. do you remember hearing this rumor uh vaguely very vaguely i was like yeah what and i just I listened to it, the song anyway <laughs> so i heard it in the same vein of like tommy hilfiger doesn't want white pe- black people wearing his clothing i heard it like the same vein as that mm-hmm. but i believed that one and I, I think maybe just because it was a white guy. And that seems like crazy now. Knowing like this story, I'm like, well, why would I believe that one if I didn't believe this one? So over the years, um, Hill had become increasingly pro-black, which, of course, for some people means anti-white. But like, that's not the case. No, those are not it's, synonyms. <laughs> yeah, it's not. <laughs> but it all started years, years, years ago when a rumor got started on the Howard Stern show where all terrible things start. I fucking hate Howard Stern so much. I actually met someone who interned there and like I didn't get a chance to like talk to her about it. But like I might reach out and be like, hey, what the fuck was that like? That seems like that would have been terrible. Yeah, probably. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to reach out. I'll, I'll keep you updated on what she said. Okay. Um, so in 1996, a caller to the Howard Stern show claimed that Lauren Hill made the following statement during an MTV interview. I would rather die than have a white person buy one of my albums. This rumor circulated and morphed into Hill saying a plethora of things. Um, if I knew white people were going to buy my music, I would have never recorded it. Or I would rather have my children starve than have white people buy my albums. Yeah, okay. Those all sound totally legitimate. Sarcasm, Mm -hmm. sarcasm, sarcasm. I mean, the truth is she never said any of this at all. And for a year, she had to defend herself against the rumors, even calling into the Howard Stern show to shut down the rumors in 1997. Years later, MTV would announce the allegation against Hill wasn't true. But by then it was too late. The rumor was already in motion. The issue is that whenever Hill spoke later about race or anything controversial, someone in the press would bring up this quote-unquote fact that she's racist based on this rumor. Hill spoke out about the situation saying, you know, everybody has to be very careful about what they read and hear because you never know what's true. A couple of years ago, some kid heard that I said that I didn't want white people to buy my records and that really, really hurt me a great deal. I like to think that my music is universal and I've been everywhere and I have fans everywhere. But because some rumor that, you know, some radio personality choose to say on his radio show, he had a bunch of people believing something that they've never heard themselves, but just a rumor. So what did she say that might have been misunderstood? Well, Lauren Hill offered the explanation. What I did say was that I love my people, black people, and I will continue to make music for them. There are a lot of young black girls who I meet in my travels who don't have a lot of self-esteem, she explains. So if I communicate to them that they're beautiful, no white person should find fault in that. It doesn't mean that young white girls aren't beautiful because they are just as beautiful. I'm going to go off a tangent again. Do you remember when that song All About That Bass came out? Yeah. And there's a line in there that's like, uh, like my mom told me not to worry about my size. And it's like, 
um, like this song is for like the big girls or whatever or something she says. I remember there being lots of like think pieces from skinny people being like, why does this song only have to like celebrate bigger people? Like I have a skinny body and I still want to like enjoy music and like dance. Like people accuse Megan Trainor of like alienating people with that song. And it's just like, oh my God. Not everything is about you. Yes, but like almost every other song is, is. For, like there's <laughs> not like you know, like if the default is white the default is also like skinny. Mm -hmm. So like if there's a song praising someone like in a larger body, it doesn't automatically villainize your thinner body. Like that's not how it works. It's not like opposite day. Like just (laughs) relax. (laughs) Like just because this one thing might not be catering to you doesn't mean that you still can't enjoy it. It doesn't mean that it's like villainous. Like it's, it just seems so weird that you would go so left field with it. Yeah. But there is a segment of the population that confuses self-love and the love that Lauren Hill has for young African-American women as her advocating for racial supremacy. That was not and is not the case. So this brings us to Lauren Hill, the role model. A lot of Hill's music focuses on her exploration through the world as a black Christian woman and a mother. To some, her lifestyle was filled with contradictions. In an article titled Lauren Hill, Hoochie or Hero, gross, by Deborah Dickerson, Dickerson calls Hill out, saying, But Hill, the rhapsodic Christian proselytizer, is not everyone's idea of a black female role model. For one thing, she often dresses hoochie style. Worse, she has two out-of-wedlock children with her live-in boyfriend Rohan Marley, one of Bob's many children. Hill may embody the best of young black womanhood to some people, but to others, she's just a hypocrite or worse, a danger to the community's endangered morals with her hip-hop halo. That hurt me to read, but I did it. I'm sorry. <laughs> the things you do for this podcast. The things I, like, I found this article and was like, bitch, are you kidding? Are you kidding? Like, I, just the idea that you would write down like Those she had words. to like write this down. <laughs> she had to type it up. She had to give it to an editor. And all these people were like, oh, this judgmental piece of shit that you wrote, sold. Good. Let's print it. Like it's it's so one-sided. And as if we live in like the 20s or something. So the 1920s, not the 2020s. The 1920s. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's almost like the 1820s to uh, just so much judgment. And then like she throws judgment on like Ruhan to be like one of Bob Marley's, Bob Marley's many children. And it's like, what's your problem? Like, what? Why is this such an issue for you? Like, what is like children out of wedlock have to do with you? Like, do you have to raise them? Did, do you, did someone call you for babysitting? Like, this is insane. Like, what do you care how many children she has or, like, if she was married when she had them? Like, oh, I know, it's very frustrating to me. But Dickerson and others claim that Hill's preaching about love and being a child of God is hypocritical and harmful. Personally, I don't listen to I don't listen to religious music. I wouldn't listen to religious music. And what Lauren Hill was talking about never came off to me as it came off as more like spiritual and kind of like new agey and like higher power. But I never felt like she was preaching Jesus to me because I wouldn't have listened. So I don't understand. Um, she's not doing like any biblical chants. Like she's not a nun. Sure. She may have been in sister act two, but she's not yeah, a nun. She's not a nun. <laughs> Hill is a proud Christian woman and she didn't shy away from speaking about God when asked, but it didn't seem like she forced it into her music. Mm-hmm. Um, It seems like she also subscribes to an understanding and forgiving Lord, which is like the kind that I would subscribe to if I subscribe to Jesus at all. While Dickerson follows the fire and brimstone, very vengeful God. Yeah. 
Dickerson goes on to talk about the Baptist church she grew up in, not even allowing clapping because it was too much like dancing. Clearly he's never been to a black church. <laughs> oh my God. Like, no, like a Pentecostal a, black church. Well, a Baptist black church. Yeah. <laughs> like that's insane. To, like, it's insane to me. I was like, there's like full bands. Yeah. There's mostly dancing and chanting and clapping. Like, so she says, Ooh. Dickerson, she says, that's what drove her away from religion. The strictness. And yet, and yet. But, but she's judging another version, right? Uh-huh. She goes on to say, I'm like the veteran doctors, lawyers, and soldiers who won't let anything change because they want everyone else to have to suffer the way they did. Gross. Why, why are you even, like, you're admitting this? Yeah, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Lauren Hill's newfangled black spirituality is just too damn easy says dickerson right not mm. not us um <laughs> at least i had the grace to lie feel guilty and sneak around when i fornicated or dressed like a hoe hill writes songs about it ah. <sighs> okay deborah 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 debbie can i call you debbie <laughs> what sense does this make like why punish and judge someone because it happened to you like you hated it and you, you didn't like it at the time and it drove you away from the church. But like you're doing the same thing to this woman. Like what sense? She's like those people who like don't want student loan forgiveness because they had oh, to pay their yes. own student loans. But their student loans were like a dollar and a hug and like <laughs> they didn't have it nearly as bad. Oh, Deborah's just like a boomer then, I guess. Yes. We, I we, we've sussed out her whole deal. <laughs> Allegedly. I hate, I hate Deborah's. Deborah's a problem and I have an issue with her. So Hill's life cycle and love for God was hard for some people to stomach exactly because of what Deborah said. So like Hill's breaking all the rules, but still finds love and comfort in her God when others think that she should be too ashamed to even think of God or to praise him. But here she is, Lauren, not Deborah, because Deborah never could. Lauren's over here. She's vibing with God. He's rewarding her. Hill has been the other woman. She's had children out of wedlock. She dances. She wears short shorts and hasn't been smited or smoted. Yes, smote, 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 smote. I think, I think, whichever one of those is the actual past tense. Smited or smoted, whichever one, smote. She's thriving. She's living her best life to an extent because there's a lot of pressure. But like she's in, in this world of like, you know, getting luxuries or like getting rewards by God. She's being rewarded by God. She's has all these like awards and stuff, right? She's got all these fans and Deborah is pissed. Deborah is like, how dare God not strike you down for the things that you're doing? I wonder if Deborah ever thought, Hey, maybe God is not a terrible person. No, that's not how her church right? told her. Ah, <laughs> uh, but then she left. Deborah makes no sense to me. No. Well, let's move Deborah's on from her then. Let's, let's, let's just yes. move on from her. Let's talk about something else that, is a bit confusing as well. Let's talk about the this like love triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, a love box, really. Oh yeah, because there's four. If you do like love box, sounds Lauren. dirty. <laughs> it does sound dirty. <laughs> I'm here for it. It's fine. All right. <laughs> so let's remember the ages of everyone involved when they first met. Right, Hill was 13 years old and Wyclef was 19, and he had previously. I don't know, maybe he had a crush on her, maybe been infatuated with her, grossly attracted to someone who was a child. 
I just got like a physical chill yeah. down my spine thinking about like being attracted to a nineteen uh, a nineteen year old being attracted to a thirteen year old. But we will say that as far as we know, anyway, that he did not pursue it due to her age at that time, um, and also because he got backlash from their bandmate. This age left Hill susceptible to the influence and manipulation of the music industry. Her bandmate should have been there to protect her and not groom her. By the time Hill was 18, the two had formed an on-and-off-again relationship, but he considered himself to be her mentor. But I feel like to be a good mentor, you can't fuck your mentee. But what do I know about anything? (laughs) (laughs) So like we said, the relationship was consensual and it was on and off. Wycliffe even got married. So he still held on to the relationship with Hill. But once Hill started dating someone, Wycliffe could not handle it. Right. The double standard was the end of the Fugees, which he won't say. He won't say that. He's just like, we started fighting and the group broke up. Um, Hill and Wycliffe have both publicly cited their relationship problems for the group not being able to continue. But it really does seem like once Hill found someone who she wanted to pursue a relationship with outside of this this band, that's when it became like an issue. Of course. All right. So after the blow up of the Fugees, Wycliffe was bitter. Lauren was pregnant and he assumed she was carrying his child. When he learned that she had officially moved on and wanted nothing to do with him, he was furious. So she was leaving him. And she was leaving the band. In his opinion, he'd created her career. And if she wasn't going to work with him or be with him, then her career would be at a standstill. When Hill was working on the miseducation of Lauren Hill, there were lots of obstacles. Years later, Hill told Rolling Stone, when I decided I wanted to try a solo project, I was met with incredible resistance and discouragement from a number of places that should have been supportive. So that had a motivating factor, but it was less about proving myself and more about creating something that I wanted to see and hear exist in the world. One of those points of resistance was finding people to work with. According to an interview with Hill's ex-partner, Rohan Marley, Wycliffe was allegedly telling people that if they worked with Lauren, they could not work with him. With Wycliffe being a seasoned artist and producer, most decided to go with Wycliffe. This left Hill struggling to find an experienced producer and production team. She also didn't have the steady musical advice from her former bandmates, so she's like having to come up on her own. Yeah. So when she discovered a group of talented musicians from Newark, New Jersey called The Ark, she invited them to produce her album. While recording the album, when Hill was asked about providing contracts or documentation to the musicians, she replied, we all love each other. This ain't about documents. This is about being blessed. Again, mistake. Big mistake. Huge. Like, why would you do this? It's the lack of guidance and assistance from the record company led to mistakes being made and lawsuits being filed. The ARC claimed that they were cheated out of money, but since there were no proper contracts filed, things were able to fall through the cracks. The producers were initially paid $100,000 for publishing rights, but they realized that they could get more once they saw how well the album did. Lauren felt blindsided. She thought these people were her friends. It was disheartening to witness her friends sue her. It was also disheartening to hear people accuse her of being a music thief. All her years in the Fugees didn't prepare her for the actual business of the music business or the backlash. It's music industry is rough when it comes to that it stuff. It is. Always and have I feel your like contracts the, in place, people. Yes. And I feel like the younger you are, the more people are likely to like take advantage of you. And when she was in the Fugees, like she probably wasn't making a lot of the decisions. Like, these guys were, or like the recording company was. So like when it became her chance to make all the decisions, she didn't have a lot of guidance. And I I got to feel like if this 
record company was so insistent on her making a record. Why didn't they have like someone sit down with her and like review all these things? Like it seems wild how like they would protect you. I guess because they're only trying to protect themselves. Like sure, exactly. You know how like HR usually isn't in your best interest, but like they're there in case something happens. Like correct. I don't know. It yep. just seems like so shitty that they were just like you can go out and find your own producers, right? Like she found these people because like she was scouting for them. And like, unfortunately she found, you know, people who were out to make a buck. Like they weren't her friends. Like she thought, and that had to probably hurt way more because she thought like these people were building something with her and like they were all friends and they were here for like the music, Mm -hmm. which she probably thought from working with the Fugees because they were friends before they started recording and the blurred lines of like the relationships and stuff like, everybody's just like friends in the Fuji's. So like, this is how the music industry goes, but like, it's not right. And that's a really, she paid what? Like $5 million. That's a really expensive, heartbreaking lesson to have to learn. So people using Hill might have to do with her age, also her gender. Like it's not being a, it's not easy being a woman in the music industry. I mean, look at Taylor Swift. She's like at the top of it. And she just had all that shit where she had to like re-record her own like masters. Yep. And she would she would easily be like one of the most successful females in the music industry. And it's like hard for her. So like anyone just starting out, it must be insane for him. So Lauren Hill, as a female rapper, had to navigate the ropes of not only being a woman in a male dominated group, but also a genre. Hill had a really powerful voice and was lyrically gifted, but she is a woman. So she had to work harder just to receive the same acknowledgement. In an interview, Hill recalled some of the sexism that she had to deal with, saying, I remember doing interviews with the guys, and one of the interviewers would be like, Wyclef, tell us about your thoughts on the world. Praz, what do you think of hip-hop as an industry? Lauren, what's your favorite color of lipstick? And I'd be like, oh, no. In a book called She Begat This, 20 Years of the Miseducation of Lauren Hill, Joan Morgan points out how hard her fame was to achieve at the time that she did. Morgan writes, in an era where hip-hop was, and largely still is, dominated by black men and corporate control, Hill, with her natural hair, dark skin, and soft sexuality, served as a breath of fresh air. In music videos like Do Up, That Thing, Hill flips black female respectability politics on its head, showing us that she can be both the sexy, thigh-high, miniskirt-wearing artist and girl group perfection in a zebra print swing coat at the same time. Hill had to walk a very fine line. We spoke about this during our Whitney Houston episode. You can't be too sexy or be too boring. Hill needed to be interesting, but not take the spotlight away from the rest of the group. And speaking of that, Hill had many opportunities to fly solo much earlier than she did. As we mentioned, Michael Jackson offered her a solo recording contract, but she turned it down because she was committed to the Fugees. She was offered a deal with Pepsi. Praz says the following in an interview. I remember when Pepsi wanted her for a commercial and they were like, all we want is you. We don't need the other two cats. (laughs) She said, without them, I'm not doing it. And so there's like some respectability there and you appreciate, Mm -hmm. but it does show that she had opportunities to go out on her own if she'd wanted to. Yeah. She also turned down many acting roles because they conflicted with the Fuji's recording and tour schedule. There are a lot of things that she didn't do because of the group. So when she did finally spread her wings and go solo, it should have been met with the same support and loyalty that she had given to her bandmates over the years. But Lauren got no support from the men that she gave up so many opportunities for. Hill always says her main goal and responsibility is to her audience, to her fans. Even though she started out in this career super young, she always thought of herself as a role model. She felt like she had a responsibility to be an example to the youth. 
While accepting an award, she once said, I'm specifically speaking to you, you guys up there, she says while pointing to a balcony. There's absolutely nothing that I'm doing that y'all can't do. Every single one of you. I'm 23 years old. I'm just a kid. You know, I'm just a child. And there's so many great people who came before me who put their hearts and their souls on the line for music. I'm just one person. The pressure to be a role model, a mother, and sell millions of records, to do an international tour and be a Hollywood star, it was too much for Hill. Her record label was looking to strike while the iron was hot. They wanted to ride the success from her first album into a second and a third and then a tour. We touched on this when we covered Amy Winehouse. When you write such personal music, you can't just crank it out. There are emotions to go through. It's a whole process. But the record company was more interested in their financial gains. Hill spoke out about how people advised her to terminate her first pregnancy when she was a young woman with a promising career. Hill ruminates on how the decision to go through with the pregnancy gave her life new meaning on the song To Zion. When Hill disappeared from the spotlight by the early 2000s, people were shocked and surprised. But we shouldn't have been. This woman had been telling us that she just wanted a quiet life. She wanted to raise her kids and make music in her own time. Hill didn't want to worry about being camera ready when going to the grocery store. Now, back in 2008, Hill made headlines for going to a Martha Stewart book signing with her kids. Hill was called unhinged and to be exhibiting odd behavior. But how, right? She's just a regular person. But under the spotlight of fame, apparently this was weird. Could you imagine if someone called you unhinged every time you went to a book signing? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's wild to me. It's like normal people go to shit like that. Like, she was like... She's probably like, I have all these kids and I make them delicious meals from my Martha Stewart cookbook. Oh, Martha Stewart's going to be at the Barnes and Noble down the street. I'm going to go. I'm going to take my kids. How is that weird? I remember it in the newspaper. I remember people being like, Lauren Hill makes rare appearance and it's an odd one. And it was like, I don't know how that's, odd. I guess because you were like, she's famous so she could have her people call. Well, it's because Martha they thought Stewart's that she people. hated white people and Martha Stewart was white. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, my God. So there were many things that looked different in Hill's life under the spotlight of fame, like having anxiety. One of the reasons for Hill's constant lateness uh, to most of her life performances was being scared to take the stage. When Hill was open about her issues, it didn't go over well. She said, I saw someone lambast at me once for discussing episodes of anxiety before going on stage, as if anxiety was only a condition for the non-famous. It was absurd. Like someone with a record out can't get a common cold. Someone in love with art doesn't not experience the fear of anxiety. They just do their best to transcend it or work beyond it. She went on to say, some days are better than others. For some people, it gets easier. For some, it doesn't. The unfairness and the harshness was excessive to me. Sadly, this harshness continues. In 2019, singer Summer Walker canceled part of her first and last tour due to her social anxiety and postpartum depression. For this, she was called selfish and unprofessional. In response, Walker said, you still got to make time for yourself. We understand paying for a show when expecting it to start in a timely fashion, but the issue here might lie between the artist and the management. If your artist is uncomfortable touring, don't force them. Think of alternatives, smaller venues, one show a week, you know, things like this versus back to back to back. Artists are people too, and uh, we need to remember that. Another case in which the fame spotlight might have been may have caused harshness to be excessive was during Hill's tax case. In an article titled, Is Lauren Hill Being Singled Out Among Tax Evaders? Written by Robert Frank. Frank says the tax attorneys say celebrities like Hill are often targeted more vigorously so that officials can send a message to the public. Willie Nelson, Wesley Snipes, and Nicholas Cage were all pursued for failing to pay taxes. 
He goes on to say that the charges against celebrity tax avoiders have often been filed in early April, just in time to send a message to the public to file their returns properly. Oh, Jesus. Everything is a game, right? Everything is like a capitalistic game. <laughs> yep. Yep. The judge in Hill's case was tough, saying the defendant does not deserve a get out of jail card for deigning to pay what she owes. But Hill didn't deny it. She pled guilty and was paying what she owed. Her second crime and what landed her in jail was not paying it fast enough. Hill claimed to the court that she lived modestly. She had six kids and was renting a house in New Jersey. She already pleaded guilty to the charges. Now she was asking for time. Hill was sentenced to serve three months in prison and three months house arrest. Of course, people need to be held accountable for their crimes. And Hill has done her time. Ramble, ramble, ramble. Uh, let's move on with this one. I don't like I'm, ne- I'm never going to be like taxes are bullshit for for one. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't think taxes. I don't think taxes are bullshit. But I think the way in which we deal with taxes in this country is bullshit. Right. The way they the, know exactly yes, the how much money them. we owe. Yes. There is no need for us to, like, have to fill out all of that information when they have it already. Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah. With taxes are bullshit. And like. <laughs> If, if if you if she did file her taxes and she did claim and it was wrong, they would go after her anyway. And like what landed her in jail is like, oh, you didn't pay it back quickly enough, which I think is like real bullshit. Like mm-hmm. I'm not saying that allowance needs to be made, but she did have like fucking six kids. Like I just and she pled guilty like she wasn't going anywhere. She wasn't a flight risk. Like I really think they were trying to make an example. And like and then like, did she not have to pay because she was under house arrest? She still has to pay. But also, like, you just don't have, like, your freedom. Right. I know. It's all weird. But, like, she was held accountable for her crime. She did her time. There we are. I should be forgiven. Over the years, Hill has struggled with her public image. Sources close to the artists said that she hated having to get dressed up every time she left her house, hating the model expectations being placed on her. All of this also affected her personal relationships, leading to the separation between her and Marley. In 2011, after 14 years and multiple children, the two split. Many people will say it was because Hill joined a cult. So Hill began to hang out with a mysterious figure by the name of Brother Anthony. The two attended Bible study together and she took his advice, which seemingly included leaving her management team and stepping back from the spotlight. Now that seems like the decision of someone who has lost control and is being puppeted. Or... It sounds like the choice is made for someone looking to cut ties with the world that they have found to be increasingly toxic for the last few years. It sounds like someone looking to reconnect with their God and seek and seek to center themselves. But Lauren Hill joins cult is a way better headline than Lauren Hill seeks privacy. Hill later described this period of her life to Essence magazine saying people need to understand that the Lauren Hill they were exposed to in the beginning was all that was allowed in that arena at that time. I had to step away when I realized that for the sake of the machine, I was being way too compromised. She goes on to say, for two or three years, I was away from all social interaction. It was a very introspective time because I had to confront my fears and master every demonic thought about inferiority, about insecurity, or the fear of being black, young, and gifted in this Western culture. So let's talk about Hill's like impact on the world, right? So in 1996, Hill founded the founded the Refugee Project, a nonprofit outreach organization that sought to transform the attitudes and behaviors of at-risk urban youth. This included a sweep, a sleepaway camp in the Catskill Mountains called Camp Hill. 
Hill also raised money for Haitian refugees and supported well-building projects in Kenya and Uganda. Musically, her impact was deep. By the end of 1998, the miseducation of Lauren Hill was loved and praised by critics like Rolling Stone, Billboard, The Village Voice. Remember that? Oh, The Voice. The Village Voice, yes. <laughs> Spin and Time. They all agreed it was one of the best albums of the year and later, The Decade. Hill has won eight Grammy Awards, including Album of the Year. She's also won the most by a female rapper, six MTV Video Music Awards, four NAACP Image Awards, four Guinness World Records, and three American Music Awards. In 2022, she was inducted into the Black Music and Entertainment Walk of Fame. Lauren had a bunch of firsts. While still working with the Fijis, Hill won the Grammy for Best Rap Album, becoming the first woman to do so. She was also the first woman to have a number one rap song on the Billboard 200 charts. She was the first female to win the Grammy for Best New Artist. The Miseducation of Lauren Hill also peaked at number one, making Hill the first solo female hip-hop act to do so. Both The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill and its lead single, Do Wop That Thing, debuted number one in the U.S., making it th- making Hill the first act to have debuted number one on both the Billboard 200 and the Hot 100 charts. She was the first black solo act to win an MTV Music Video Award for Video of the Year at the 1999 MTV Music Video Awards. Also in 1999, Hill landed on the cover of Time Magazine and became the only black musician to land the cover during that decade. That's fucked. <laughs> like that last one, mm-hmm. the whole decade time. Yeah, you, it's, well, time don't is they not come out every week. They do, but I mean, they're not specifically an entertainment magazine, right? So, like, I wouldn't expect a musical person on every. Okay, cover. sure. So, so it's not like the relax. only black person. Is yeah, the it's only not like it was musician. Rolling Stone. Yes, got it. Okay, fair. I I apologize. No, time we don't need to apologize to Time Magazine. <laughs> At the 41st Grammy Awards in 1999, Hill received 10 Grammy Award nominations. She took home five of them that night. She became a pioneer of the neo-soul movement. Now, neo-soul is a musical genre that fuses contemporary R&B and soul with elements of hip-hop, gospel, and jazz. Think D'Angelo, Jill Scott, Erica Badu, uh, you know, people like that. Miseducation is still the best-selling neo-soul album of all time. It's been inducted into the Library of Congress. It's ranked number two on the list of the 150 greatest albums made by women. Rolling Stone listed it as the 10th greatest album of all time on their 500 greatest albums of all time list in 2020. Hill has two songs on the Rolling Stone's 500 greatest songs list, Doop That Thing and the Fuji's version of Killing Me Softly. In 2021, the miseducation of Lauren Hill was certified diamond by the Recording Industry Association of America. Hill is the first woman in hip hop to do this. So remember, she's not only a rapper and a singer, she also writes and produces music. Hill has written songs for Aretha Franklin, Mary J. Blige, and CeCe Winans, and produced songs for Whitney Houston and Santana. In 2015, she earned a Golden Note Award from the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. Lauren is an influencer. So many current artists have thanked and credited her for the inspiration to start their careers. Adele, Beyonce, Amy Winehouse, Nicki Minaj, SZA, and LMA have all cited Lauren and the miseducation as inspiration. Her music has creeped into our modern music too, as she has been sampled on current popular songs. Drake's Nice For What, Cardi B's Be Careful, and Kanye West's All Falls Down are just some examples. 
Hill will have a platform to inspire a new crop of upcoming artists as she embarks on the 25th anniversary tour for Miss Education. Again, we have our fingers crossed for more music and a happy, successful tour. Final thoughts, takeaways. Um, so like I said, this album is like in my top five. I love it and I would consider it like inspirational, especially the love songs. Uh, but even back then, hearing about her in the press, like I was fooled. I just couldn't understand how someone who was having such a thriving career could just leave it all. Like she must be crazy. Like, But even doing this podcast and learning more about the media and how disposable people can be in the music industry. I mean, it makes sense that she would dip like for her kids, for her peace of mind, for her art. It, it made sense that she had to leave. Um, I just like really wish that she could find a safe space away from like the demands of the world to release some truly amazing music. But also it's like, okay, if she doesn't like Miseducation was so great and it was such an amazing album and it changed like it changed lives, I feel like. And it definitely changed like the turn of the music industry. It's okay if she doesn't top that. Yeah. Like, it's okay if that's her her huge work of art, you know? Yeah. I don't think she needs to do better. I don't think she needs to be comparing herself or, like, trying to do better than that. I like that. I like that mentality. You know, I remember when we contemplated discussing Lauren Hill as a little rep and then, like, quickly realized that she deserved a full episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, You know, because there's so much more to her story than I think casual listeners might realize. And even those who got swept up in the so-called dramas of of her life that made it into the news and different media outlets like we probably didn't realize the bigger picture behind these moments i mean i know that this is the theme of the podcast overall but like it just really goes to show you that if you don't take the time to understand the truths behind the media drama you can't make an educated judgment or just do like critical thinking because like when you think about like the whole she's in a cult was this a cult of two people? Did she like move somewhere? Was she wearing an all white? Like the traditional like cult atmosphere, like her leaving and like giving up like her management. If you do like any like deep thinking, she was having problems with her management. They were trying to force her to make an album and like it just wasn't coming around. So like it seems like leaving that situation was beneficial, right? Like if you just ask yourself the question of, does this make sense when you hear like a piece of like scandal or like some kind of like messy trash? You can kind of sort things out for yourself. So let's get into some resources if you want to learn more about Lauren Hill. The Mystery of Lauren Hill by Ture, written for Rolling Stone magazine. She begat this, 20 years of the miseducation of Lauren Hill. Taking the Rap by Cheryl Connolly. Miss Lauren Hill's unsung music story, Battle with the Music Industry and Her Legacy. Uh, which was posted by Impressive uh, on YouTube. Miss Lauren Hill speaks in depth about fame, racism, and miseducation by Brittany Spanos. So let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Or do you have any suggestions for when we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, your favorite high school choir. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. 
And remember, we have a Patreon now, patreon.com slash bigreputationspod, or just check out the link in our link tree. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you'll get a shout out in our episodes. And if you choose the $5 level, you'll have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini episodes about amazing women throughout history. Next up, Macy Gray. Stick around after the episode where we'll share a teaser from that Little Rep episode. All right, let's wrap up this episode. Kim, what quote do you have for us this week? I have one from Lauren Hill. Don't be a hard rock when you really are a gem. That's beautiful. And as always, believe women. Well, hopefully we'll get to see those at some point. So on the music side of things, she released her album, The Reset, in February of this year, 2023. This album was recorded during the pandemic, and the first single, Every Night, came out in 2022. She's currently on tour for this album. Yeah. Yeah, she's got shows all up the East Coast, like New England, New York. Potomac? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe she's in Potomac. Maybe her (laughs) Real Housewife friends will show up.